0: evaluating the business for what it is as a business, using your mind as an entrepreneur, as a business, like, does this make sense? I really lean on that a lot because at the end of the day, any freaking fun can send you a deck with whatever projections they want and any historicals might be, lo- might look good, but where, where does that environment going in the future? Right. It'd be like, You would not invest in Blockbuster right now, even if they showed you the most amazing historical return, because you know that that's dead.
1: Like, ain't nobody going to the the movie store because they like the experience of picking them. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Kingdom REI podcast show. Man, I love getting uh, the guests we have on this show. I have a really special friend, a guy that I respect so much, uh, a brilliant business mind, Uh, someone who's created a lot of money through passive income, which we're going to talk about today is really cool. But man, what I love most about this guy is uh, just who he is as a father and as a friend, is a man of God, a dude serious about his faith, serious about advancing God's kingdom, but does that in such a unique way. God's given him such a a brilliant mind for for business and investing. And so I'm really, really excited to introduce you guys to Brandon Poole, man. Welcome to the show, bro. What's up, man? Let's go. Hey, you know, it's always gonna be a good show when like I have rapport with someone and like, you know, we, we've done a lot together, man. So I I got a feeling that we're going to go to a whole nother level in this show and people are, um, are going to get a lot out of it. So where are you calling in from today? Uh, I'm in Austin, bro. I'm at my house in Austin, uh, Austin, Texas. You know, we were thinking about Austin, bro, but I got to be honest with you. When we were really trying to put cities on the table about where we're going to move to Austin was up there. And it, it was actually, I think, held number one for a while. But summer came around, and my weather app never went below extremely hot in Austin. And I, that, that that really hurt its ranking, I have to say. It's hot here, man, in the summer. Now
0: it's perfect. It's like, this is the best time of year here. Yeah. Like, I just had lunch with a buddy on a patio, and
1: I was like, oh, I love it. But two months ago, nope, we were eating inside. It's wild, man. It's wild. I feel like Texas has gotten hotter. Like, it's... Is it always been there? how long have you been there? Uh
0: 2 years. But yeah. I I think it's but but bro like it's it's a trade off, right? Like you got that super hot summer but you don't get like iced out in the winter. You know, our winter's like 4 weeks and yeah. then it's like you're like in a t-shirt throwing the football outside at Christmas, you know? Right.
1: Right. No, it makes so, sense. I, I just feel man. like I've become such a climate um snob living in San Diego. So every every place is harder <laughs> to live to? Nothing is as nothing is San Diego, bro. Yeah. If
0: you could yeah. just take Texas and put it like our politicians, our tax code, our yeah. entrepreneurs and Move it to San Diego,
1: hundred percent. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Located in San Diego, like
1: uh, we, we would, li- all- we live in the perfect, be the perfect bubble on the planet. I totally agree with you, but that's not is great, bro. But like nobody likes gators and hurricanes, you know? I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like your just gets grabbed out of like your backyard by a gator. I'm yeah. like, no. Man. <laughs> well. uh, well listen man let me let me just pray for us real quick and then we're going to get in father thank you for this time thank you for the show thank you more importantly for brandon and um how you've saved him by your grace and you've gifted him and here's a man who's really uh, seeking after you and wants to help others so i pray god that the wisdom and the experience that you've given him uh over his career god that would be something that would transfer to us today and that it would help us it would help us it would help those who are listening Uh, Find stability, find encouragement, uh, and even find acceleration in their path of creating creating legacy wealth uh, for their families, for uh, for other families, for those that you've put on their heart to to love and to serve. And so we just pray blessing over those who are listening today. Pray blessing over Brandon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So real quick, just to give you a quick thing about Brandon, you know him and his wife. uh, They originally built a company called Lady Boss. It was the fourth fastest growing, privately held company in America in 2019 per the Inc. 5000. Sold that pretty recently, last year, right? Yeah. To Russell Brunson, which is cool. Uh, ClickFunnels guy. And so anyways, I just want you to know you're, you're dealing with a really sharp entrepreneur, a guy who really knows how to grow and scale businesses. But what's really interesting, Brandon, is like you've become like a pro investor now. Tell me about that. Pro, th- Thanks, man. I'll take that badge. I think it just came from
0: like having money and being like, I've met so many guys um, that have been successful and lost it all. Like I've met a dozen guys. I'm like, man, you've done some amazing stuff. And either at that point or some point in their history, after they've had a lot of success, they lost it all. And I'm just like, I, how do, how does that not happen to me? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that was a story I kept hearing, like, Guy, guy where I grew up, blew up with a bunch of tanning salons and then lost it all. You know, guy had an amazing bike company, like had offers from Huffy, lost it all. Like all these stories of of entrepreneurs that have had a lot of success, and I was like, has that not happened to me? And so, I I kind of realized pretty quick when I jumped into the, the investment world um, that it's amazing how many entrepreneurs or business people or whatever you do, real estate white collar lawyer, doesn't matter. We put so much time, attention, and energy into generating money because we have to, right? Like you can't invest something you don't have. So that has to be the first skill. But then we just like write checks blind and like cross our fingers. And that's where like the Bernie Madoffs of the world, like make out because we're just ignorant. Right. right. And so I just made it a priority for me that I wasn't going to be ignorant about that game. And so Learning what a syndication was and a fun and what's a GP and what's an LP, and what is actually passive because a lot of passive income people talk about is really just like a part-time job and a distraction right. from your main money maker. And like, how do you vet a deal? And like, what's your deal philosophy? And like, so there's all these things that I just kind of dove into, and um, I found a mentor in that area and a service as well, and. Um, really just dove in, man. I've spent oh, probably hundreds of hours just like learning and talking to people and guys that run investment funds. I'm in like 19 different vehicles right
1: now wow. that I put money in. So I, I want to talk about these passive income strategies you build. but let, let me go back. There's one question I want to ask you before we get into like this topic of passive income strategies, because I know a lot of people listening to the show are going to fall into, hey, yeah, I want to create, I want to start investing to create more passive income. But a lot of people are in that come up stage, right? You know, think of your, you guys in 20, maybe 17 or 18, when you're building the business. I mean, like, do you have frameworks now? Because I know you coach and teach entrepreneurs who are growing and building businesses. Like how much of the companies that you're investing in or you're working with, do you want the founder thinking about Passive income strategies, ver- like, you know, I mean, have you developed frameworks yeah. to, to help serve folks who are maybe building that that first million or $10 million business right now? A 100%. Um.
0: So it's funny is for me, I didn't like come out of the gate, like started making money and then had free cash flow, disposable income and like start investing it. Like I truly had no clue and it took years. Like I I had millions of dollars to invest that I wasted opportunity on that. I just sat on cause I didn't know. Right. So it didn't come like natural. Um, and as far as like frameworks,
1: which is a great question, that's uh, Ellis, you want the tactics today. I like that, man. He's like, yeah, yeah hey, I, we, we go for the hard for you, man. You just got, you got that, that small head, big brain, bro. And I just want, I, I want to get as much of it as I can. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that, man. That's good. That's better
0: yeah. small brain, big head, right? <laughs> so one of the things that I see most professionals, entrepreneurs do wrong is they have too much cash, either in their business, their company, or their personal name. And so like any money that's sitting there that's just doing nothing, one, it's rotting to inflation, but two, it's a liability, right? So so when you have money in your your business, it's a liability if your business was sued or whatever. And I've been through nine lawsuits whether I'm on the plaintiff side or the defendant side uh like I, I don't chase people for money but I've had to defend intellectual property where I've had to advance on people and stuff like that but once you go through some of that you recognize the risk so I think learning investment is a good idea because because you need to you need to know what to do with your money so you don't have all this money sitting in your name as well so even if you take it out of your business having it sitting in your name is also a bad idea because it's not protected, like it could be in a separate, separate investment or entity or holding company. So I think that's just like a liability side. As far as like frameworks, one of the first things that we establish is that as an entrepreneur or a professional, like you have a lot of operating risk in a business, right? Meaning like, like people think of their net worth, like I don't calculate net worth, like what's your company worth? I think that's it's pie in the sky until you've got an offer, right? It really is. Like you could be worth whatever on paper and and most entrepreneurs, most of their like theoretical net worth is literally all in their business. And your business is is the highest reward vehicle that you can make, right? Like, so your time, you will make the highest ROI in your business, bar none versus anything else that you could spend your time on most likely. But with that upside, it also carries the highest operational risk, right? Like you could have, like I had a supplement company, like I had insurance and whatnot, but like someone could take my product and say to hospitalize them and take me out. I could have a, tele, a TCPA lawsuit. I was just talking to a friend of mine who just settled a lawsuit from TCPA because you didn't have the right disclaimer on your your marketing material online, like before people opt in with their email and their phone number, like... There's such a number of things like you could be right now, you could be Blockbuster passing up on Netflix and you don't even know, and you're obsolete in three years. So, so I just believe that recognizing the operational risk that you carry in your business and the way that you hedge that is by scraping cash out of your business on a regular basis with a system, right? So that you can begin to kind of grow that investable cash number, right? So I think of it like, Tactically, this is what I do. Like every single month, my finance manager manager goes in, has a minimum cash balance for every company that we're a part of, right? And we go in and we scrape off the top of that whatever excess cash is there that we don't need because we want to we want to capitalize our ventures and our businesses, right? Because they have the highest return, but we don't want excess. So so we go in monthly and scrape that, and then I'll typically deploy in investments quarterly. If not bi bi monthly, just depending on cash, right? Some seasons are better than others, but so just having a discipline of like scrape the money, put it in account, like this is investable, and then you you know what you have that you can go and allocate is kind of where it starts, right? And then just recognizing that that risk that you have, um, because anyone who's been in business ten years has been through some sort of cycle, right? Right. You don't know when the next one is. And if the cycle wipes out your business and all the cash is in it, like I've watched guys chase losses because they're emotional about their company. It did so well. And then it starts tanking and they're putting all their money into it. And then they lose everything. And this is like the story that happens with these guys. I was talking about in the beginning of the podcast is like, they, they just chase their tail all the way down and spiraled and then they end up with nothing. Right. And so I'm a big believer of just recognizing like, yeah, you think what you're doing right now, you're going to do forever. But the reality is that you don't really know what the future holds. And one thing could shift on, if you're in digital marketing, your account gets banned and you don't get it back. Like I had Google ban all of our advertising accounts and I had to do some crazy like black hat stuff to get it back. It wasn't really black hat. It was more just aggressive, but stuff that can just really impact you. And so when you have that system of scraping and then allocating, and then, you know, you're, you're educating yourself on investment opportunities. You now have a system to where you can hedge that risk and start to build, build a real asset that's liquid and and, and growing outside of your
1: company. Does that make Brandon, sense? What, yeah, it totally makes a lot of sense. Um, I know someone's probably listening to and thinking, okay, well, if I have that business, what is a good metric or target, you know, do you like in terms of runway for cash balance to leave on that you're scraping off the top? Like, is, do, do yeah. you have a, a, a a typical you know certain amount of months or for that what does that look like and i've tried to make
0: a formula for that (laughs) the problem is every company is such a snowflake and what you really just need to establish is what's the minimum balance you need to operate according to your growth plans right like because if and then you got to balance that with like well are you like if you're hyper growing and you're just crushing it you need to fund it like are you comfortable not scraping anything out along the way? It's kind of like saying like, what's your risk profile and in your investments? It's like, it's really depends on how you feel and you have that gut instinct. But at the bottom, at the end of the day, um, if let's just say it required, I'll give you an example. Like If it required 100% of your free cash flow in your company to grow it and you're just like in momentum and you're super profitable and you're growing, maybe you put it all in, you don't take anything out. but like if there's any excess or maybe you just take 10% and grow a little slower because you want to build, I think you just got to play with that. Right. There's no magic number. Some companies grow cash flow positive. So they're, they're acquiring a customer and they're making profit on a new customer. So even in the growth, there's still excess profit. And so all they need to do is be able to fund the advertising growth. And for them, there's plenty left over, right? Like in my, and on our previous business model, that lady boss that you talked about, like we had to go negative for 30 days. Right. And so we just established based on the ad spend budgets, how much capital do we need? And then that, that informed the minimum balance that we had. And then we just scraped the top. So I wish I could give you a formula, but it's, it's kind of impossible because every company is growing at a different rate. Right. But I think like, well, you know what I too appreciate
1: this too. It's like, the idea of just even knowing your night and I know you're big on knowing your numbers and I'm excited for our chat post this you know because I feel like I you know we can now speak a similar language because I didn't know what those were until I met you and, but the idea of. Making money while you're in business, you know where a lot of guys are just deploying everything back into the business and there's really no it's like yeah, yeah you got a good. Profitable business, but you're not making any money. You know what I mean? Like that's a lot of people's scenario. Right. And I've heard it and, said this way the the
0: Kings eat first, right? Like the King of the kingdom has to eat so he can rule and lead. And right. like, you got to feed, you got to feed yourself first, like pay yourself first. That's, that's a principle, right? right. How much you're asking me how much I'm like, uh, it's Yeah, you no, know, I get save. that.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah, as much
0: as you can without suffocating your business or being
1: happy with its growth rate right right all right so for all you entrepreneurs and business owners that was a little nerding out right there but dude how many did you say investments you were in 22 19 19 right now 19 lp investments and can you share how much not, that kicks off for you like do you, do you have some some not
0: not all lp um but mostly
1: yeah Okay, Nine, let's call it roughly twenty LP limited partner type investment opportunities. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, nineteen total, and then like majority of them are, are LP, but some aren't. Um, and that's and then you know I've got the company side, which I look at different because yeah. like companies that I'm invested in are to me they're not. Again, like private equity is such a risky place to be. And so when 100% of your net worth is your company in
1: private equity, right? As a asset class, it's super risky. Right.
0: Yeah, it, it's seven figures a year.
1: So yeah. seven figures a year, 20, 20 LP investments. And I'm curious, like, if you broadly had to categorize those, do you have a couple different, like how, how would you distinguish what those 20 are in?
0: Basically insurance, right? Um, I like the uh, whole... Whole life, paid up addition, infinite banking, people call it. They give it fancy names, but I like that vehicle. Um, I've got um, multifamily real estate. I've got um, single family. I've got some short term rentals that I have an operator in. Everything's got an operator. Some of it I'm on the LP, some I'm on the GP side, right? So I'll just ATMs are a cool, cool vehicle. A lot of depreciation, a lot of cash flow, hard money lending. I like I like hard money lending both in the business space but also in real estate single family backed so either private equity hard money lending or or single family
1: So for someone who's thinking who's listening saying okay you know I want to create more like how do you how are you distinguishing value I mean at, so you got a lot of factors man
0: like here here's what I look at so I've got return right and so I look at like IRR return But then also cash flow right and so you know that's a big distinction and so i actually measure what is my cash flow return on my on my dollars invested in an annual cycle and what is my irr like projected right because you don't know on some deals until they life cycle right Right. um those are the two numbers that i really pay attention to is like if i took all of my investments that are that are active out there and i just look at like what's my projected irr like that's a number that i tr- i track like i want that to grow obviously you want all of them to grow but and then i also look at on the same like what's the cash return right so like you know cash returns always going to be less than irr unless everything you do is just f- all cash flow but then you're probably not building any equity in anything um so those are the two numbers i really pay attention to so if you have a hundred, million dollars invested and you're projected of that million dollars it's going to make 20 uh $200,000 each year in returns but maybe you're not getting them all in a year cash then that would be 20% irr and then if let's say of the of the 20% of that 10% of that's paid out then you'd have you know 100 grand in cash um cash flow coming your way to your bank account within that annual cycle so those are the two two numbers i look at on return and then do there's a handful of other stuff right like what's the business macroeconomic wind look like meaning like I I invested in a hard money lending fund that lends to cannabis companies that can't get traditional lending because of the federal banks that's still illegal but then in states it is but it's hard for them to get lending so this company just lends to them this is all they do and that has a big a big tailwind right because right now in the cannabis industry you have all of these states that are deregulating and you have these rec markets that are coming, and it's like that is a tailwind, right? Like another another group that I'm in, um, they develop residential real estate land. Buddy of ours, you know, Cody. I love that play. I'm like, I could pull up seven articles right now. So, so business sense, right? Like, does right. this just make sense? Like, where is this moving? Because we gotta we gotta expand the time horizon when we think about investments. Yep, like yep. it's not. Like in your business, you got to worry about the the, the P&L today and then next month. And then what are your plans next quarter? And maybe you're thinking about next year. When you're investing, you got to be thinking like, what is one year, three years, five years, 10 years look like? So in that, it's like you could find seven articles right now that are telling you that there's demand for two to three million single family homes right now. Some say five that aren't built because in 2008, all the builders they got left with a bag and all the banks got bailed out. And so they slowed down. And so there's been a gap in in the amount of family units coming to maturity and needing a home and then not being enough. And that's why the prices are so high, even at the median, right? So that the company I invest in, they develop land and get it ready for builders to build on, which is like turnkey for the builders. And, and right. oddly enough, there's not that many companies that do that. And the yeah. builders don't like doing it. So it's like that's a great business opportunity. So I think return is one evaluating the business for what it is as a business. Using your mind as an entrepreneur as a business, like does this make sense? I really lean on that a lot because at the end of the day, any freaking fund can send you a deck with whatever projections they want, and any historicals might be lo- might look good, but where where does that environment going in the future? Right? It'd be like. You would not invest in blockbuster right now, even if they showed you the most amazing historical return, because you know that that's dead. Like, ain't nobody going to the to the movie store because they like the experience of picking their movie. That's that's what they said.
1: So it's like, I think about that a lot. I could go on, bro. There's a list yeah. of stuff. But- so let me ask you this, because I find you know I'm in the space too of raising private capital that majority of our investors, I would say like a, one of the reasons why most people one of the top reasons i shouldn't say this is not the reason why people invest with us but one of the reasons big reasons why people end up investing with us is because we're one of the few private equity places they know to invest with like it's not like they have a hundred different options right like they heard me on a webinar and they're like oh i've been looking for a place to invest passively you know i'm interested like multifamily sounds like a good idea. How are you finding so many? like you 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 named off a bunch, right? And you have a lot going on. So how are you finding and kind of filtering through opportunities like this, you know, to be able to invest in? Yeah, it's a
0: great, great question, man. Um, some of the early things were just relationships, like you said. And Ellis, that's a great point. I mean, it's pretty staggering, like how unavailable. Like, you got to be in certain circles, even meet guys that are doing that. And, you know, yeah. because there's like the, when you have an investment fund, like, you can't advertise it unless you have a certain, I think it's, was it reggae is what it's called? L- unless you have like a reggae fund, which is harder to set up and costs more and has more red tape, like, they can't like actively advertise to people who are non accredited. So it's really wild. And actually, the Democrats just lowered the threshold. For what an accredited investor is to, and I, I think it's cool in a way. Like they do a lot of stuff wrong that I like. I'm like, make the income, household income, and the net worth requirement lower for people to be able to participate because they want everyone to have access. So all of that to say, I linked up with a, a family office group uh, called Do Wealth. Jim Do is a great friend of mine. I know you know him, and um, they work with people that make over a million dollars a year, and one of the things they do is vet investments. So in the beginning, I would bring a lot of investments to them and and so they've got a lot of smart smart guys that I learned a lot from and then just kind of took their science you know their math background brain and then took my entrepreneur brain and then made decisions, right? And then a lot of it was just relationships. So in paid groups I'm in, where I meet guys and you build trust, that that kind of parlays into it as well. so 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 that family office I work with as well, as well as, Uh, just networking and relationships. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've always thought like it it is a great, I mean, it's what we do in a sense, but it is a, I mean, it's a business model. Like it's a, the, the the business in of itself of just making these opportunities more available to people is a great play right now. Cause to your point, I think there's a huge tailwind of people more and more tired of the public market and the volatility that go along with that. um, And looking for alternative ways to invest. So, and even even people in the public markets are getting
0: screwed because they're investing in mutual funds and they're investing in what banks sell them. And it's like you could Google right now, I think ninety six percent of mutual funds don't even beat the actual market. So like, you're paying two percent of in fees, right? Like, I'm in the public markets, but I'm paying forty basis points on in indexes that are covering a broad range of of companies and stocks. And it's like that's where, you just, you got to get educated, right? right? Like you're, that's why you're listening, right? That's why you're, you're talking to Ellis and you're listening to this guy. Cause he knows this yeah, type of yeah. stuff. And it's kind of the truth. What I've kind of seen is that the more publicly advertised and available an investment is usually the worse it is. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of what I've seen. And so there's, there's a beauty of like, Hey, like don't invest in your brother's nephews, you know, friend who just like started a company, like, but when there's entrepreneurs that are running investment funds and there's a good business behind it and they have some track record and like that's a that's an awesome alternative investment that I think people should really think about right and I I prefer those
1: yeah and and so in so much of that yeah I'm, I'm totally with you let me ask you this um do you think about like percentage of allocation to each private investment you do like I've heard you know the shark tank guy talk about you never want more than 5% of your net worth into a uh into an investment vehicle do you have any any rules like that that you follow when it comes to passive investing yeah
0: you could google um there's a billionaire asset allocation and i think that's super interesting to look at um but i also think that i think there's two thoughts right like they say focus Focus to build wealth and diversify to to sustain wealth and grow it long-term, right? Like focus in your business, in your one area, your craft to make your active income and then diversify in your passive income. So I believe in that. But I also believe in if you have a leg up and you know something others don't in an area, maybe you should go heavier in on that area. You know what I mean? You know, if I'm running a real estate investment fund and I'm you, Ellis, and, and you know all about your deal and how it's doing and you feel great about it, like I'd probably overweight in stuff that I know, right? And I understand. Um And, but but I'm diversified, man. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I could give you like a quick, I have like a,
1: a legacy tracker that I use. Why you're, pull, you're pulling that up. Yeah. I'm just, I'm curious to know, you know, if you, have you had any, any passive investment opportunities just go wrong. Uh, And what you've learned like lessons from some things that I mean, because here's the thing, man, and I know this from being in this space, it's the Wild West, like, there's not a lot of regulations, anybody can put together a fund. And a lot of the issues that I'm seeing come up in this space and, and in full transparency deals that I've invested in are have a lot to do with the operational risk not so much the asset risk. And so I just yeah. would love to hear lessons from things that have gone yeah, wrong. For sure.
0: I think that overall I've only lost, I've only lost money on one thing and it was NFTs. And I think I lost like 50 grand. I made like quarter million in Bitcoin cause I just bought it right and got dumb lucky and then sold it at 60. <laughs> like yeah. I yeah. was just- You didn't get
1: greedy. I should have sold at 60.
0: I was like, this is so like, I'm already freaking four or five X. I'm like, I'm out. Like, I think that's crazy, you know, and I I had nothing in it. Right. It was like, it wasn't substantial, but um, that's the only thing I've lost money on because I got romantic about, about it. I actually, so I actually bought in when the NFT launched from the it was a gaming nft which i'm i'm still high on that one of these one of these triple a titles are going to figure out how to integrate tokenomics crypto one of these gaming companies are going to be a call of duty level quality game because i'm a gamer i love video games i've always have one of them are going to figure out how to integrate the the tokenomics and the nft into the game and it's going to become valuable and i thought this game was it and that was just romantic yeah but i made money on i made like 20 grand because I bought directly from, from the gaming company. And then on the secondary market, I made the money. And then I bought more from the secondary market, not realizing I was in the influencer pump and dump cycle. Right. Because they all buy direct from there. And then they all post about it, put their press releases out. And then it it peaked like day six and then it just fell off a cliff after day six and they had already sold. Right. So That was the only time I've actually lost money. Um, I think I'm pretty conservative. And I think that because I educated myself, I look at return. I look at the business headwinds and tailwinds. I look at the operator and how long they've been in in business. I looked at like, do I trust this person? I look at, do they have skin in the game in their own deal? Right. I look at having a kind of checklist you go through. And maybe it was a good thing, you know, that I, I spent a lot of years not investing because I built up this knowledge and I took it slow in the beginning of deploying capital. I wasn't just like firing it all out there. Um, and then now I've got, you know, a, a family office virtual team that um, that I pay a retainer that looks at stuff for me. And then I also run it through my own checklist. Yeah. So so to be honest, I've been really blessed in that way. Like I haven't lost money on any investment yet. I'm not, I'm, I'm sure I will but I also, I'll put in a little bit and I, you know, right now, like I'll put in a little bit, a couple hundred grand, I'll let it ride. And then, you know, if I see all the right signs and then I'm looking to deploy again, maybe I'll put more in, yeah. but I, I like diversifying in that way. One of the, one of the downsides though, you know, it's vetting, vetting takes time. So, so that, you, you know, you kind of got to vet push that up against it. But in my mind, I'm like, takes so much time and energy to make money. And then you write a check and you lose it all. Like, that's crazy. You know, like, so, so I think it's good to take it slow.
1: You know, yeah, I'm and so that- with you, man. I got, um, I, I, I you know, I'm going to pro- promote my own stuff because today is because of my own show. I don't typically do this, but guys, if you go to symphonycapitalgroup.com forward slash checklist, that's actually our syndication firm. I have a, 48-point checklist that we follow and encourage our investors to follow as well. So you guys can download that for free, symphonycapitalgroup.com forward slash checklist. Uh, go check that out. But Brandon, I, what I, um, you know, especially on the real estate side of things, and a lot of the stuff you even mentioned don't even take debt. But if there's one thing I've been talking a lot lately and just seeing why how a lot of people are going to lose money in this cycle right now. And a lot of people will lose money. We're talking about billions of of equity will be wiped out and is being wiped out and will be wiped out over the next 12 months in the uh, commercial real estate space but you know a lot of it is in in is is debt is timing of debt and it's a it was a good piece of wisdom that uh bob frazier gave me you know you know bob frazier out of aspen funds he's like you know look at 2008 2009 he's like where'd all that real estate go i'm like well what do you mean where to go still there he's like exactly he's like the real estate never leaves he's like it's all about it's all about the debt it's all about financing right he's like because real estate doesn't go away it just yeah. trades hands and it trades hands because people play people have a and this is this is this stuck with me and i use this now almost like my own people use a short-term play in a long-term game right they have a, they have a short-term strategy in a long-term game and i just think that's so that that, in my opinion, if you're a passive investor, is especially if you've made your money and now you're trying to diversify your money. Because in my opinion, Brandon, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think there are really two types of investors. If I had to broadly categorize it, there's two types of investors. There's the investor who is trying to make their money from investments because they do not make a money, they do not make enough money or have a ceiling on their money from their W-2, and so they have to naturally take on more risk. Uh, in their investment portfolio in order to get ahead where the other type of investor or guys like you where you've made your money or can make your money in other forms and then invest that money passively and i would just say if you're in that second bucket like brandon almost never should you have a short-term strategy in a long-term game and i feel like that's where a lot of this industry and i've seen this a lot in multifamily, is you know a short-term strategy in what has traditionally been a long-term game real estate holding or real estate investing and you know, there's going to be a lot of loss because of that. And so I think it's just a good framework to be thinking about. To your point is just know what you're playing. It's okay to play the short-term game like you do with Bitcoin, or it's okay to do that in real estate if you're fixing or flipping a house or doing some lending. But just know which one you're in because I think a lot of people, and I and to your point, are just uneducated that like passive investing in general, because I see a return is all the same. And that's not true, like short term lending or fix and flipping or, you know, is not the same thing as investing in an ATM machine or buying a commercial real estate property on a 10 year note. Right. Like that is very, very different. And so uh, to our audience listening, those are some lessons for me. You know, and I, I would say I knew them in the past, but now that I've kind of gone through and seen a lot of what's happening and even personally experiencing it. They've become very concrete pieces of wisdom that I I will take with me, um, yeah, totally. throughout my investing career.
0: Yeah, and like the way I look at it is like the shorter the time horizon, the more active you should probably be involved in it. Meaning, yeah, like that's good. If, if you want higher returns on something, like go buy a short-term rental, but know that you're you're now spending time. It's not passive anymore. But you could make thirty percent right? But like, I just want eight to 20, you know, and if it's closer to 20, I want to really understand why, because the closer it gets to 20, the closer it looks too good to be true.
1: That's really good, man.
0: Yeah. And, and so it's like, I think that's a big thing too, is, and I just, I mentioned this earlier, but wholesaling houses or Airbnbs or like, that's a job, right? Unless you're like, I know how to hire and staff an operator, right? Like I, I built a team of 150 people at a company I grew. I understand how to bring somebody in, recruit them, create a system around them. I do the na- do the math and so so I have a portfolio of short-term rentals yep. that are doing great and I don't touch them and I just look at their P&Ls once a month or maybe quarter if I'm if I'm bored I'll just look at them, you know, like and that's it. But I don't talk to anybody, I don't look at anybody and I can still get 20%. Twenty-five percent because I was setting that up, but just understanding like, like how active are you involved, and then you got to position that up against like how much do you make in your current opportunity, your active income, right? And like, is it worth your
1: time, right? Yep. So I think I'm you said man. something really, really helpful there, in, in uh, you know the book, um, there's a lot of decent money books out there. I find this one really good though, The Psychology of Money. And I don't remember everything he said in this book, but there's only really one paragraph that matters if I had to summarize the whole book. He said, the goal of building wealth or the the, the key to building wealth, and, this, and we'll end here, the key to building wealth is um, not going after the highest return possible. It's going after the highest return possible for the longest amount of time. And he's like, that's how you win, right? Because if you can make the most amount of money over the longest period of time, the compounding effect of that is, is is how you really grow and build wealth. And I think the same thing is true with passive investing is, you know, that if if you can't play the long game, to your point, you know, it may not be a good time to jump into passive investing. We're shared some amazing strategies David. and I'm grateful for you. Um, you run a company, you know, tell, tell our audience a little bit about enterprise CEO and, and who that's for. Or, or if you have any other offerings you'd like to share, but I feel like that could, could be something really helpful for this audience, for those who are looking to grow uh, and scale their business. I know you have a podcast as well. So for folks who are like, this dude knows a lot, where do I keep following him? Please share.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks. Appreciate that. Um, by the way, guys, I I'm invested in in Ellis's fund in, in one of them. I don't know. How, you just have one or multiple. That was a
1: single asset. Yeah. Our, our yeah, Dallas okay.
0: I did a single asset with you vetted it through and through, looked at it all. And at, at the time I was looking at yours plus like four other deals and it took the cake. And I'll be honest, the one thing was like the history of the operators and you, and I know you have some partners, but, but I, the trust that we have kind of solved that for me. And, you know, I I put a couple hundred grand with you guys. So if you guys are thinking about investing, Ellis knows what he's talking about. Just, I just
1: want to make sure that I said that that's a good endorsement. I didn't, I didn't necessarily pay him, you know, <laughs> uh, He didn't ask
0: me to do that, but no, man. So, so after, after building lady boss, fourth, fast growing company, that business best year when I was operating it, $44 million in revenue, it was a blast, man. It was crazy. It was like a rocket ship. I I never expected to do that. Uh, I never s- started it thinking it would get that big. And and some people that's not even big, but um, after that, I was like, man, that was I did so much wrong. Like for the amount that went right, it's a miracle we we did what we did because I did so much wrong and I lost so much money and made so many dumb decisions. And so out of that came the idea for our podcast, Big Business Mistakes, which is like all about mistakes that people make. And so just hey, th- there's a lot of wisdom to knowing the nugget, but also like the mistake and then what we learned from that. And it's just more practical. So we love talking about that on the podcast. And then as far as the business, so we advise and invest with founder led seven figure, um, companies. So they gotta be doing at least a million in revenue and we help them take what would take 10 years on their own and collapse it into two or three years. Right. So through my own experience of building, not just being a consultant or whatever, like I used to Throw rocks at those types of people. Like anyone teaching anything they haven't actually done themselves should stop, in my opinion. But, uh, but that's been our heart. So you know, recently took a couple companies from you know 300k to 1.2 million. Another one from 300k a month to you know 720 thousand. So it's just been fun helping other entrepreneurs that are in that kind of bracket of scaling and they're dealing with, just oh, just like the team and the management and like the numbers and the cash flow and what do I build next and where do I invest my profit and just like the maze of all of that to just like, I would do so, so many things different. So it's just been a lot of fun to help. So that's, that's what we do. Um, But podcast is probably the best place to go. And if you're in that million plus and you like it, cool. Hit me up. If not, it's all good. We'll,
1: we'll link to both in the show notes and guys, that's where I want to wrap up because I got about 20 more minutes for bringing off the show to, to dive into our business because of how brilliant this guy is, and 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 really uh, gets business. So I can't recommend him and Kaylin enough to you to go follow and continue to learn from. Even if you're not there, he's a the guy in the space you want to know. And and more than anything, uh, and and more so for sure, more so than any of these other creators out there, really has a heart for for the Lord. Um, for for Jesus and so uh, we we share that in common. So Brandon man, I can't thank you enough for your time and just being open and and, and honest on, in in your journey and what you're doing and I know this really helped a lot of people today. So thank you. Yeah man, and just just on that note
0: before you end this, like I realized very recently that radical generosity was like why God gave me the gift of building wealth hmm. and there's a few cool things that I've been doing recently that the people They probably would never listen to this, but like blessing people in my life, uh, a project built, building a new building for our church. Like those are the reasons, like that's your real financial legacy. Like, yes, I want your family to be comfortable and you to feel good about, about that. But, and maybe we could do another episode on, on the, the trust structure and the, and the legacy play. And I'm sure you've talked about that with like, um, David Green from Hobby Lobby and 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 like deconstructing that but what i want people to walk away with is like you, you cannot outgive god and ever since i was down on my knees in my bedroom when i had nothing and started to give and exercise radical generosity is when i started to build wealth and the floodgates opened and so you know got to make sure i say that on here because because that
1: this is this is this is a podcast to say that right yeah. no that, and I, I appreciate you in that way guys if you enjoyed this uh, what I'd ask, because this is a free show and we don't run any advertisements, is just help us promote. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it on LinkedIn or share it on Facebook or Instagram, wherever you do social media. Maybe text it to a friend. Uh, you know, I'll do that where I find a great episode like this one and just text it to a couple guys. Say, hey, this is really hitting me differently today. You know, there's a lot of good good things in here. Check out this episode. So do that. It helps us. It helps us continue to bring on great guests like Brandon as you know our, our show downloads continue to grow. Because people want to know that. Like, hey, I'm coming, but how many people are listening? <laughs> so help us out. Continue to find great guests by sharing this episode. So grateful uh, for you all. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Hey, just because the is over doesn't mean the journey is. Listen, if you're a faith-driven real estate professional or investor, then you'll want to go to thekingdomrei.com to learn about our mastermind. If you're interested in investing alongside me in alternative investments like multifamily apartment complexes, then head to EllisHammond.com to learn more about that. Cheers.